So 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16 to 33. I repeat, let no one consider me a fool. But if you do, at least accept me as a fool so that I can boast a little. What I'm saying in this matter of boasting, I don't speak as the Lord would, but as it were, foolishly. Since many boast according to the flesh, I will also boast. For you, being so wise, gladly put up with fools. In fact, you put up with it if someone enslaves you, if someone exploits you, if someone takes advantage of you, if someone is arrogant toward you, if someone slaps you in the face. I say this to our shame. We have been too weak for that. But in whatever anyone dares to boast, I'm talking foolishly, I also dare. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I am a better one with far more labours, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, many times near death. Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I face dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers. Toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing, not to mention other things, there is the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If boasting is necessary, I will boast about my weaknesses. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus who is blessed forever, knows I am not lying. In Damascus, a ruler under King Aretas guarded the city of Damascus in order to arrest me. I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. Good morning to everyone, and happy Mother's Day from me as well. Let me pray. Father God, as we come before you to look at your word, may you quieten our hearts. May you open our ears to hear your words and our hearts to receive it. And help us, O Lord, to live according to your will. Amen. What is boasting? 
Boasting is defined as speaking with excessive pride and exaggeration sometimes, especially about oneself, emphasizing our achievements, our possessions, or abilities. Basically, it's self-glorifying. Our society encourages us to draw attention to ourselves, to our achievements. We honor and celebrate successes, and we shy away from failure. Take writing CVs as an example. Our CVs need to be eye-catching. They need to be attractive. They need to make a strong impression on our prospective employer. We list our skills, our achievements, and our strengths. We don't talk about our faults or failures. And unless you've been hibernating, you know that there's a federal election coming up in two weeks' time. All political parties and candidates rave about how good they are. They're out to impress us with their credentials, their credibility, their achievements, their strengths, and their policies. No one emphasizes their weaknesses, their faults, or failures. Imagine, for example, imagine for a moment if a candidate... Let's call it the me party, as this mantra. Vote one for me. I'll go to parliament for me. I'll do nothing and let the others do everything and blame everyone else except me. Vote one for me. How many people do you think will vote for me? At least we can say they're honest. So earlier in this chapter, chapter 11, in verse 3, Paul warns the Corinthians not to be seduced away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ, not to be deceived by the super apostles. In today's passage from verse 16, Paul continues to encourage the Corinthian church not to be dumb, not to be sucked into the hype, the slickness, the great oratory skills and charming personalities of the super-apostles. In verse 16, Paul repeated what he had begun in verse 1. He asked not to be taken as a fool, but he was willing to be regarded as a fool if that's what the Corinthians thought of him. Accept me as a fool so that I can boast a little. Paul assumed the character of a fool to call out the false apostles and let the Corinthians see the foolishness in welcoming and accepting the false apostles. You see that Paul wasn't really comfortable taking this position. It went against every grain of his new life in Christ. To Paul, all boasting is foolishness. It does not reflect Christ's meekness and humbleness. Christ did not speak boastfully. Boasting goes against the gospel of grace. There is absolutely nothing we can boast of, nothing we have done. It's purely and solely because of God's grace. So Paul wanted the people to realize and understand that he is no fool compared to the false apostles. Earlier in chapter 10, Paul argued that their CVs 
were full of self-glorification and self-appraise commendations. Chapter 10, verse 12 says this, For we don't dare classify or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but in measuring themselves by themselves, in comparing themselves to themselves, they lack understanding. It's all about me. It's all about themselves. Right? But Paul wanted the Corinthians to discern what is truthful and what is right and what is false. So you can detect Paul's sarcasm in verse 19. If you look at verse 19, Paul says, For you, Corinthians, being so wise, you are wise, but you gladly put up with fools. So if the Corinthians were wise, they should be able to discern what is truthful and conclude that the teachings from the false apostles were wrong. Yet they tolerated the foolishness. The false apostles were expecting and accepting privileges. The church at Corinth were just simply awestruck by their brilliant CVs with self-commended accomplishments. They were willing to put up with the behaviours of the false apostles because they considered it an honour to be associated with the personality cults of the super apostles. You may think, why did the Corinthians turn away from Paul? Why did they turn to the super apostles? After all, Paul started the church at Corinth. To us today, we sit back and say, it's dumb. Right? Paul wrote nearly half of the New Testament. Right? He is a great super apostle. But from chapter 10, if you recall, we know that the church at Corinth, the people at Corinth, regarded Paul. They found Paul to be a boring speaker. He wasn't dynamic. Perhaps it's because he was always preaching Christ and always preaching God's amazing grace. Paul really didn't talk about anything else. It was always about Christ and God's grace. And they've heard it all before. We've heard it all before. From chapter 10, we also found that the Corinthians found Paul to be physically weak in presence. He didn't have the charisma. He didn't have the charm. His personality was dull. It wasn't dynamic. And he wasn't a rock star. But they conceded that Paul wrote brilliantly. He was a great writer. So the Corinthians wanted something more exciting. They wanted inspirational worship sessions that appealed to their emotions. They wanted to experience something trendy, something cool and hip. So they were captivated by the trendiness, the message that the super apostles brought. It's a fashionable way of doing church. In their eagerness to be associated with the new way of doing church 
and to be accepted by the super-apostles, they tolerated the false teachings, the teachings that preached a different Jesus from their Saviour. The sermons from the super-apostles were not confronting. In fact, they were soothing. They made everyone felt good. They preached prosperity, blessings. They didn't talk about God's impending judgment. They affirmed the people and never challenged them to true discipleship to Christ. So the desire and eagerness to be part of the new cool church experience resulted in their willingness to overlook their abusive behavior, their exploitations, their arrogance, and their violent act of disrespect. disrespect. The slap in the face. That's probably the worst thing you can do to someone, is to slap them in the face. It's utterly disrespectful. But in reality, instead of being wise, the Corinthians were fools. They tolerated the false teachers who had come to deceive them. They've come to destroy them, to turn them away from Christ. Verse 21, Paul lamented that he has been weak with respect to the Corinthians. That's a huge understatement, isn't it? He had not taken advantage of them as the others have. He had not boasted according to the flesh as the others have. But it is not shameful that Paul had not abused his position with the Corinthians. In fact, it showed Paul's concern and care for the Corinthians. He cared a lot for them. He loved them. The world without God is a world without hope. In a world without hope, there is nothing to look forward to except an empty life. And what is an empty life? An empty life is a life that is filled with desires. There's nothing to boast in except our achievements, our trophies. That is our possessions, our wealth, our careers. That's an empty life, a life without God. It's also a strong reminder to all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. It's a reminder to us not to be dazzled or bewitched by the bright lights of the world or by churches that do not faithfully and boldly proclaim Christ. Friends, we have the real hope in Christ. That's worth boasting every day. Paul now turned his attention to his, op- his opponents from verse 21. In whatever anyone dares to boast, I'm talking foolishly, I also dare. You would think that Paul here, if you're a typical male, would be indulging in a bit of chest puffing. I'm better than you, mine's bigger and better than yours. But he didn't. Paul's boasting is counterculture. He's not interested in comparing CVs with the false apostles. Instead of extolling his achievements, instead of talking about his successes, 
Paul boasted about the cross of Christ in his sufferings and weaknesses. Even as he was speaking foolishly, he drew attention to Christ. His suffering showed the power of Christ and glorified God. None of his opponents were able to match his accomplishment. In verse 22, Paul starts by putting to rest his apostolic credentials. His credentials were impeccable. This is echoed in his letter to the Philippians, reading from chapter 3, verse 3, the second half. It says, I do not put confidence in the flesh, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Paul was a full-blooded Jew. He had the right pedigree. And instead of boasting of his successes and positive impacts of his ministry, Paul used the negatives in his comparison. He could have boasted about the dramatic encounter with Jesus. He could have boasted about the number of churches he has started. He could have boasted about the number of people that turned to Christ because of him. The number of people he had discipled. He could have boasted about any of this, but he didn't. Instead, he focused on his suffering. He had labored more than anyone else, imprisoned many times, beaten to death. So you want to talk to me about being an apostle, a servant of Christ? You just don't know what you're talking about. Top that. Paul could have been cruder. Paul did not make up any of this just to embellish his CV. They were actually factual information that the Corinthians knew. They knew of the positive impacts of his ministry. This, my friends, is true discipleship. Paul took up his cross and followed Christ. To Paul, the sufferings were inconsequential compared to knowing Christ and following him. In all respects, Paul towered above the false apostles. Paul's documented suffering for the gospel authenticated his ministry. He did not need to boast about his successes. His sufferings rested and relied on the power of Christ, and they glorified God. And that's what Paul's ministry, that's what our ministry is all about, to proclaim Christ and glorify God. If anyone needs to be convinced further of his commitment to the gospel, Paul goes on in verse 24-25. Five times I received forty lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was bitten with rods. 
Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open seas. If you and I were truly boasting, that's not what we will boast about, unless we were Methodists. Five times he received 40 minus one lashes from the Jews. It's a bit weird that Paul said 40 minus one instead of just simply 39. Why is that so? Flogging is actually a Jewish punishment set out in the book of Deuteronomy. It will come up in the overhead. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, it says if there is a dispute between men, they are to go to court and the judges will hear their case. They will clear the innocent and condemn the guilty. If the guilty party deserves to be flogged, the judge will make him lie down and be flogged in the presence, in his presence, with a number of lashes appropriate for his crime. He may be flogged with 40 lashes, but no more. Otherwise, if he is flogged with more lashes than these, your brother will be degraded in your sight. Imagine, if you flog more than 40, you'll be degraded. Less than 40, you're fine. So it limits the punishment to a maximum of 40 lashes. But the Jewish leaders in their legalistic wisdom decided to limit it to 40 minus 1 so that they can be seen to be obeying God's laws. You notice that Paul always had the maximum number of lashes, 40 minus 1, 39. If you're good at maths, in total, that's 195 lashes. I'll say that again, 195 lashings. Imagine Paul's anguish and trauma from the excruciating pain. But despite the pain and suffering, what did Paul do? Whenever he entered a new town, whenever he entered a town, the first place he went to was the synagogue. He went to the synagogue to preach Christ to the Jews. Surely Paul was not a glutton for punishment. He took up his cross and he bore his cross seriously. He was driven by his love for Christ and to preach God's amazing grace to all. No amount of beating could stop him. That's Paul. Not only did the Jews inflict suffering on Paul, the Romans, that is the Gentiles, did too. Remember Acts 17 or 16. Paul had a Romish punishment. He was bitten with a rod, despite being a Roman citizen. Acts 14 records the stoning of Paul at Lystra because the Jews did not like his preaching. They then dragged him out of the city 
thinking he was dead. But you read at the end of chapter 14, it says the disciples gathered around him and they went back into the city. And the next day, him and Barnabas went to Derby. That's Paul. Nothing could stop him from preaching the gospel. Imagine if we were stoned near death. How many weeks do you think we'll need to recover? Right? But for Paul, next day he got up, he went to another town to preach the gospel. If Paul's ministry was not authenticated and commissioned by Christ, there is no way physically or mentally he could have put up with the lashings and the beatings and the suffering. That is just simply astonishing love for the gospel and for his people. Paul didn't need a well-constructed CV to remind and convince the people. His well-scarred body was testimony, was more than enough. Paul faced dangers in his travels from town to town to preach the gospel. Remember back then there were no coaches, no buses, no trains, no airlines. Paul had to travel by foot and sometimes by ship. Even then, he experienced shipwreck and was left drifting in the wild seas. Travel back then was gruesome and dangerous. It is estimated if weather conditions were good, Paul would have been able to cover about 30 kilometers a day. It takes a lot of time and effort, and it was genuinely uncomfortable. To give you an idea, in Paul's time, travel between Sydney and Melbourne would probably have taken two months. Today we have the efficiencies of modern travel. It's comfortable. I remember once taking a trip across eight cities across North America and Europe in 12 days. And it was hard. Compared to Paul, it was nothing. So it was more than just time and effort. There were dangers. Dangers from natural causes, dangers from people he met. The book of Acts records instances where he was confronted by angry Jews and hostile Gentiles. Even in the church that he founded and loved, in the church at Corinth, he found danger. Danger from false brothers who were seducing his brothers and sisters away from Christ. Life as a true apostle was certainly not glamorous, comfortable, or attractive. The genuine servant of Christ had a passion and care for the spiritual well-being of his people. It's not about building up oneself. It's not about building up my reputation or my status. The true servant of Christ points to Christ. It's not about oneself. It's not about my interests, but it's about Christ and his amazing sacrifice at the cross. Earlier in verse 21, Paul described himself as weak because he couldn't adopt the practices of his opponents. In verse 29, he identifies himself as weak, but with the Corinthians. And he placed himself at that level. He encouraged them to keep persevering towards Christ. 
in his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 9, Paul wrote, To the weak I became weak, so that I can win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that I, by every possible means, save some. If any one of them is weak, Paul empathized with them and shared their frailty. He walked with them and showed pastoral care and love for them. This is a great model for us to adopt. Paul may no longer be with us, but the writer of Hebrew tells us that we have a high priest in Jesus. And in Jesus, we do not have a high priest that is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. That's our Jesus. That's our Jesus that's with us. Paul is indignant when someone is made to stumble. He was outraged at the false teachers at their super apostles who preached a different gospel with a different Jesus, causing people to lose their attention and devotion to the real Jesus, our Lord, our Saviour. This, my friends, is a true mark of a true Christian leader. A true Christian leader is humble, he loves and cares for his people, guards the gospel, and preaches the gospel faithfully and boldly, and has a record of integrity and loving ministry. He does not seek attention to himself. He doesn't want to be a rock star but he continues to faithfully proclaim and promote Jesus as the biggest star attraction. In Paul, we have the model, someone who did not boast of himself or his achievements. Rather, he boasted of his weaknesses so that the church can see Christ working in him and through him. That's the point of verse 33. That's why he talked about Damascus. It seems so out of place when you're reading it. What happened at Damascus? Paul met Jesus on the way to Damascus. Paul, as Saul, as the zealous persecutor of the Christian church, was on the way to Damascus to persecute Christians. He met Jesus and he immediately turned around. He immediately started to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue at Damascus. And this angered the Jews to such an extent that they wanted to kill him. He escaped Damascus by being lowered through a window in the wall. His beginning in ministry was marked by weakness and humility. Yet, the Damascus episode showed the power of God the power to change a man who was zealously out to persecute Christians, but ended up as an apostle of Christ. And through his ministry, Paul was protected and guided through all his dangers. Despite his sufferings, in chapter 12 later, Paul would say that he would only boast of his weaknesses because of God's power that is perfected in his weakness. God strengthens him in his weaknesses. Paul's life model is to speak with sincerity in Christ as from God 
and before God. That's what he said in chapter 2, verse 17. And that is why he can call on God as a witness. But ironically, in the end, even as a fool, Paul did not speak as a fool, but as the apostle of Christ. Yet to speak as a true apostle is nothing but foolishness in the eyes of the Corinthians. I was reading an article last week, and it had this to, sh- to share, which is a great reminder for all of us. It says the Christian life shouldn't be orientated around being liked. It should be orientated around loving God and loving others. Far more important than being fashionable is being faithful. Far more crucial than keeping up with the Joneses is staying rooted in God's unchanging word. So my friends, we need to ask ourselves if we are like the Corinthians, swayed and seduced by the hype and comfortable messages from false teachers? Or do we want to imitate Paul as he imitates Christ? Last week, Matt told us, don't be dumb. This week, I like to change that, amend that, to don't be dumb and don't be fools. Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks for Christ. We give you thanks, Lord, for your amazing love, your amazing grace for us. We give you thanks, Father, for your word that instructs us, that teaches us. May your word continue to inspire us and help us, Lord, not to be distracted by the bright lights of the world around us. Amen.